um, <clears throat> relationships. So whether it's um, a partnership, a committed um, a marriage or something like it, or a relationship with, with our siblings, our children, our parents, our grandparents, anybody, um, you know, how can we really cultivate the relationship, deepen it, and also at the same time as practitioners on the path, fully aware that attachment is dukkha, clinging is dukkha, how do we reduce that clinging, and what does that do in the relationship? So, first I'll say that both of those things are not only compatible, but inevitable as we develop on the path. And how that works is that as we practice, we, and as we take in what the Buddha taught, we recognize that our development is up to us, right? It's not a, a practice of looking for someone else to save us or someone else to um, make life easier for us even. And when we take that in fully, what we recognize is that we're responsible for our own experience. Now, of course, other people are doing all kinds of things that can um, have an effect on us. And the Buddha talked a lot about spiritual friendship and being careful who you spend time with because it matters a lot. We absorb what's coming our way and we are affected by it. And we have incredible potential to help each other and support each other. And that's one of the beautiful things about close relationships is when we really can support each other and help each other go in the right direction. It's extremely helpful. But this whole idea of attachment and clinging starts to um, become a useful focus as we start to recognize when we feel suffering, dukkha, in relation to our relationships. So if our partner says things or does things and we're really suffering over it, instead of you know, our usual, I think ordinary, almost knee-jerk and certainly conditioned response is to try to get them to be different. How many of you have tried that? <laughs> So you're going to laugh instead of raise your hand. I still know where you're coming from. <laughs> but you did raise your hands. Thank you. But it's true. I mean, this is the this is an automatic, almost automatic response. We want we want the world to shape up for us. And it sometimes does. And then we have a false sense of that being the right thing, I think, because so often and inevitably that's not going to be how it works what's going to bring real peace, safety, security, happiness, contentment is our, our inner work. Recognizing that 
in addition to talking about the importance of good friendship and, and who you, we marry, and we talked about, about intimate love relationships, that the importance of being with someone who's a good influence is also contrasted with or augmented by the fact that he said we should be islands unto ourselves. That we develop internally our own resources, our own stability, our own understanding of the Dhamma, our understanding of reality. And from that, we begin to become more internally strong and stable. And, and we are less and less likely to look for our partner or our parent or whoever else in our life to complete us or provide what we don't have yet in ourselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this happen? Yeah. So if we, if we can notice, which the Buddha, you know, this is the way he said it. This is how we learn. We notice when we're experiencing dukkha. And I think most of you probably know, you know, dukkha comes from old age, sickness, death, birth, having to be separated from what we like, having to be, uh, you know, uh, exposed to what we don't like, not getting what we want, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair, and really anything that brings up those negative, difficult feelings is, that's dukkha. So what did the Buddha say? We turn towards it, we examine it, we come to know it, and on a practical level, how does this happen? It's really best by looking at the body, being present with that feeling wherever it arises in the body. We feel it, you know, someone we love says something to us that causes us to feel hurt or angry. And you can go right to some spot in the body, uh, the clenching of the stomach or the the tightness in the chest, whatever it is. And again, it's, you know, kind of our normal response is to say something in return that might not be so skillful oftentimes. But if instead, I mean, sometimes you need to say something, but let's try to look at for the moment what it would be like if we have the chance to turn inwards and really be with that feeling instead of responding right away. So if we can be with that feeling and really examine what's behind it, like why does this thing, this person, this beloved one said hurt? We'll just use that for an example. Why does it hurt? And you look underneath, you, you look at the, at the root of that, the cause of it. I want this person to act differently than they are, or be differently than they are, think differently than they're thinking, or 
some other way suit my needs. So what if we look at why I need that? And when we dig underneath, we'll discover some, some kind of misunderstanding about ourselves or about our life or about our partner. I really like something Ajahn Jayasaro said in a talk once when I was at Wapanada Chat. He said, other people can do things to our body to hurt us, but they can't do anything to hurt our mind unless we participate. So whatever people say, or however they might in, impact us without physical harm, we are, we are able to be with that in such a way that it doesn't harm us. Do you believe that? I wanna see the hands. You need to try it out though too, right? I mean, if you haven't. And it's, really, it's a really valuable fundamental understanding if I'm participating in this dynamic with a partner where there's dukkha, and what's my part? What, am, what part am I playing in this? So this is the way the investigation goes. And as we develop on the path, as we practice the, all the aspects of the path, you know, we're practicing our meditation, we're practicing having our virtue more and more purified. So more and more careful about how we speak and the things that we're doing. And then we're developing right view. And this is part of right view, this, this idea that, you know, the way I see the world, the way I see myself, the way I look at my beloved ones, this is all part of how I wind up in places of feeling miserable or feeling happy, content, kind, compassionate, equanimous. So first thing I would like to say is it's not helpful, and I would never want to imply that we shouldn't feel the way we feel. So if a feeling comes up and the mind says, you shouldn't feel that way, you're a good Buddhist practitioner and you should be content or be a patient or something, that doesn't really help. What helps is to be present with a feeling and recognize that we're conditioned processes. We've had all this conditioning from virtually forever. And so being kind, even in the midst of being angry or sad, being kind to ourselves, being willing to let that be held is really important. This is, I think this is the first noble truth. And the second noble truth of trying to come to understand it. If we beat ourselves up over how we feel, we can't get very far in bringing that to a third noble truth state of the cessation of that dukkha. 
And it's also not very respectful of ourselves. And then when we start to get the hang of being kind to ourselves about what we feel, we get better at being kind to the other person about what they're feeling. And eventually we start having more and more instances where they're having some reaction to something, they're struggling with something. Cause you know, people don't say and do hurtful things unless they're unhappy, unless there's some kind of deep condition, but that can be unraveled too. And so, you know, recognizing that, hey, it can be kind to them, even if they're having a meltdown, maybe that's even more necessary, you know, that kindness and that compassion. And there's some really beautiful um, practical systems for learning these things. How many of you have experience with nonviolent communication? Okay, quite a few. And if you haven't, it's a really good thing to look at. Um, there's another system called um, parent effectiveness training or teacher effectiveness training. I haven't looked yet if that's still in existence. I was learning about it around 2000 or something like that. And beautiful way of being present with someone who's upset, listening to them, repeating back what we're hearing so they know we get it allowing them to correct us if we kind of don't have quite the right expression of it. Watching what's beyond and underneath what they're saying, right? So we can get a sense of where this is all coming from. It's a great way to develop understanding, compassion, patience, and a certain level of renunciation. So renunciation is one of those words that you never know how it's going to land for someone because it can feel like, oh yeah, there are the monastics again telling us we should give up what we like. But that's not it. And you might have heard me, some of you have heard me say this before. Renunciation is trading up. It's really a way of putting a, a, a pause or a stop on the patterns we have that are unproductive, unhealth, unhelpful, and actually lead to more suffering. So instead, we practice renunciation by recognizing a pattern we want to change, like an immediate verbal response to something, or maybe saying something that's kind of sharp or critical, or you know, some joke that's not not really a joke that puts somebody down. And we do those same things to ourselves. So whether it's out there or in here, really, really facing those things and, and, you know, holding back on that patterned, conditioned response. And usually I tell people do that, set it up so that you really watch that and do it for some period specific definite period of time so that you're knowing that you're practicing it and you're knowing how it's going and then after that period ends like i'm going to do this for a week or i'm going to do this for a day or whatever it is and then looking at results and practicing some more and we can really make some changes that way 
And when we talk about how we act, how we respond and act and be present with others and how we are with ourselves, as we develop on a path, it gets to be about the same because we're not so invested in this self-identity anymore. And so when we're compassion towards this being, we can just, we can be the same kind of compassionate, understanding, patient person for the other beings. And then we start to really see some good results. Because there, how do you deepen the love in a relationship and lessen the attachment? It's because the love quality changes. It's not, what can I get out of this? There's less and less of that. It's like, how can I be stable and peaceful and content in myself? And then how can I be there as a support for my partner? And, you know, of course, relationships come in all different sizes and shapes. Some of us are in a relationship with another person who wants to practice in the same way. That's helpful. Sometimes we're in a relationship where that's not the case at all. Sometimes we're in a relationship where we have vastly different ideas about what is good virtue or what is, what is good generosity, what is, you know, wisdom. And that's something that we can, we have to give some real attention to. Is this a good relationship for me, for them or not? Can we do something productive with this or is it time for that to end? And as we know from understanding the Dhamma, there's nothing wrong with endings. Sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it's necessary. It's okay. Or sometimes we find that it's possible to you know, really deepen in ourselves and we can see the good in our partner or our friend, our family member, even though we have vastly different standards, let's say, or beliefs about what's important, that we can still respect each other and we can still have a, a good supportive relationship. Depends, depends on the situation. But the more we practice and the deeper that practice goes, Actually, the more capability we have, the more capacity we have for these kinds of situations. And when we're really, really getting along down the path, the love we have for others and the love we have for ourselves can become so vast that we really can support others to pursue what is good for them, even if it's something very different than what we would have expected or wanted. Because our love's that strong. The Buddha talked about this couple, within the suttas we see this couple Nakula Pita and Nakula Mata, that means Papa Nakula and Mama Nakula. They come to the Buddha and they say, you know, even they both say this, even from the when I was very young and 
I was married to, got married to uh, her or him, and they were very like, young. And ever since then, I've never transgressed. That's not quite the right word I want, but I've never done anything uh, in my mind, let alone in, in my physical or verbal actions that was um, against them. I do not recall ever transgressing against my partner, even in thought, much less by deed. We wish to see one another, not only in this present life, but also in future lives. This is from the Anguttara Nikaya in the Book of Fours, number 55. And the Buddha said, if the two of you wish to not only be together in this life, but also in future lives, then have the same faith, the same virtuous behavior, the same generosity, and the same wisdom. This couple also shows up in other sutras. There's one where the, the husband, father, is really, really sick. And his wife says to him, because it looks like he's going to die, and she says, you know, don't be concerned. It's not good to die concerned. If you think that I'm not going to be able to support our children, don't worry about that. I'm really good with, with weaving and knitting, and I can do things that will, I can sell, and I can support the family. And she goes on through this list. She said, don't think I'm going to get another husband, because I'm not interested in that. I'm just going to take care of our family. I mean, not that that would be wrong, by the way, but in this case, apparently she felt like that was important to her and it would make him feel more at ease. Don't think that I won't go to see the Buddha and his monks. I'm going to be even more keen to go see the Buddha and his monks. <laughs> Don't think that I'm not going to be fully virtuous because I'm really, really convinced and this is how I live my life and I'm not going to go back on that. And she goes on through another few things about her own practice and how it's going to stand strong. And while she's telling him all this, he gets better. He's so inspired. <laughs> he recovers. <laughs> it's really sweet. And then he goes to see the Buddha and he tells him about it. And the Buddha says, you know, you're really lucky to have that woman as your partner. She's really good. <laughs> anyway, um, we run into all kinds of different situations in our life and we want to be able to use them with practical tools that follow the Dhamma for our development. And we can't expect that from anyone else, including our dearly beloved parents, children, partners, friends, whoever. But we can be there as an example. No proselytizing. <laughs> Um, just an example. And then, you know, at the end, we won't be surprised when we have to part because there will be that for sure. And we won't really have to be distressed either. And we can be happy in the ways in which we've grown and the ways in which we've supported 
others in our life and the ways in which we have found that kind of deepening ubiquitous love. <laughs>